right. Thank you for joining Trump Nation's 10. As we wrap it, wrap it up and put this in a bell, uh, comprehensive a series of 10 podcasts, very diverse podcasts. We started out with Dr. Gardner, uh, who PhD from Ohio State, former mayor of Lake Forest, and him and I worked together to uh, recall a perverted, racist, Lincoln Club, uh, corrupt, degenerate city councilman in the city of Lake Forest. And as we moved along, uh, he made trying to make the point that none, when somebody says something extreme, he kind of raises a red flag. He said that none of the people that rushed the Capitol were racist. So, and that's the great thing about owning things. I said, well, let's have a discussion. Let's go through each one. He kind of froze, didn't want to do that. So I kicked him off the podcast because I have an MBA. I had a restaurant in Pinellas Park, Florida. I bought for 6000 sold it for 800000 I've had successful businesses. I have a master's of business science. And I said, graduated from the University of South Florida, research university. I can do my own research with my life experience from being in the university to going to bars with these people. I can read. I can do the extra research. And I can come up with more information people would ever want about who it was who rushed the Capitol, who are Trump voters. Because we remember in 2016, what a shock it was, how people went into depression, started crying, because we didn't know who these people were. And shame on me, I hadn't done the research that I should have done to know exactly who these people are, what are their motivations. Uh, there are friends or neighbors, there are people around us, and you got to know in your own surroundings in life. So I've been doing that for the last four years. So this started with, and we're going to put them all in a series, and we're going to give you a ton of information, including today, links to books, links to research papers by universities, uh, links to insight, maybe someone have a different opinion than myself. But it started out with now Broadway actress, he was here in Hollywood, Sarah Lynn Robinson. We did two podcasts on each convention. We're going to add it on to this as an addendum. Then we started the series with Dr. Gardner. And we went through who rushed the Capitol, they got arrested, they were in the military, who were in law enforcement, and who were the others. What is their worldview? What is their politics? The last one went into detail. Even through when I lived in the South, where I had friends that said, hey, these are the people who believe the man on the moon is fake, and that the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, WWE, is real, right? So now we're going to get a different perspective. We have Miss Miami, Janet Foster, She's an executive in the healthcare industry, and, it, and she's like a sister, or she is a sister, because yeah. <laughs> we've known each other since 2009, this is 221, more than a decade, <laughs> and she has no problem telling me when I'm wrong. She's just like, Josh, you are wrong on this one. <laughs> so you get a unique kind of other perspective, right, from the spectrum of Dr. Gardner to Janet Foster. She's also in the Democratic 
Central Committee State Assembly 70. The reason that's a big deal is because California, if you listen to Gavin News, he calls it a nation state. What does that mean? That California really at this point has the fourth largest economy in the world if you took him out of the United States. So we it, literally, I'll be shocked if it isn't Governor Foster in about yeah. 12 years. <laughs> I'm giving you 12 years. I'm giving you some experience before you get to Governor Foster. So well, I always say, if you're the smartest, toughest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So I brought somebody smarter and tougher than me as we put a bow on this whole 10 series podcast. What are your initial thoughts, Janet? Um, in terms of the insurrection, um, I do think that um, there were a diverse number of people. I disagree um, that um, there were not racists there because um, <laughs> some of the things that right. um, has started to come out um, about individuals involved. I mean, we know that we have leadership from um, the Proud Boys, um, another group they call, I think, the Boogaloos, um, and there are several other groups. And and California, just so that to give people perspective, um, California has um, about seventy-two hate groups that are being monitored nationally. And I know people think, oh, how this state tends to vote um, to the left, that it swings left. But um, I will tell you, there are racists on the right and racists on the left. Um, and we see that quite frequently. And um, but in terms of the insurrection, I think that that is a culmination of um rage that was building up right and that it basically um those individuals they latched on to any excuse to do what they did um i do not subscribe to the excuses of saying oh they have mental issues um, a lot of these excuses are coming out right now um, particularly for those that have been charged or those that are currently in custody um, where maybe their legal teams are coming up with bogus reasons. Um, a lot of these individuals have ties to hate groups. Um, whether people are willing to face the facts on this a lot. And I think um, for this prolonged discussion that we're having about the insurrectionists, I really, I really think had these um, had the tables been turned if um, individuals storming the Capitol were black, none of this discussion would be happening. None of this debate would be happening. None of the excuses that we're hearing um, would be happening. Right. And actually, um, there would have been dead bodies on the mall had that happened. More dead bodies, um, right? Because we had t five dead bodies. We had. But I mean, of more insurrectionists okay. would have been. I, I think, um, and also had um, had black members of Congress given tours to people the day before, showing them where to go, they would be expelled by now. Right. I mean, there's just this whole underlying issue that everyone's tap dancing around 
and it's racism. It, it, it is what it is. Racism is infused in our society. Racism, racism is the status quo of how things work in the United States. The United States works on the basis of racism. Um, you can, no matter how, how you slice it, whether you have immigrants who immigrate to the United States, um, you have some immigrant, immigrant groups, the way they acculturate themselves into the United States, some of them have played on racism and right. even been a part of continuing on even amongst their community groups. I mean, that we're starting to see that now. And we're starting to see it, particularly in the Asian community, um, with um, this the Asian hate that um, these campaigns that have recently come up with. And what um, I will say is there there is a definite divide between that community and how um, these hate incidents are being um, managed or even reacted to. Right. Because you have Asians who have a underlying um, issue of anti-blackness they tend to um gravitate towards media that demonizes black people whereas and and there's a tendency of those individuals to be from families that immigrated um well after the civil rights now you touched you touched on a great point because yeah, people are not are not families that helped build this country they immigrated they kind of came on to um, take benefit of a lot of the rights that say the black community brought forward for people. Right, people are not talking about the Asian racism towards blacks and Latinos. And I do have mm-hmm. Luis who likes to run for office, the big burning guy. He went to uh, a Mexican restaurant because I was getting on him about how the Asian, com- and then the Asian community is a lot more diverse what we say, right? Because you have people from Laos, you have people from Vietnam, yeah, people well, yeah, from China, and they all hate themselves. each other. Yeah, they're more yeah. racist. Chinese are more racist against the South Koreans than they are against black people. But Chinese people in the United States are racist towards black people. Now, before we get to uh, what insurrectionists called very often, because there's no excuse for their behavior, but we're identifying who Trump voters are and who rushing in, in uh, the Capitol. So we get, before we get to liberal uh, victimization in their words, right, what they would say, one thing we touched on was that, very interestingly enough, we knew this from the get-go, right? But now they can't run from it. And things have changed. These are kind of weird. It's kind of revolutionary in a way. Dr. Gardner said, oh, this was a revolution. Now I'm seeing his thought process, right? There was a a revolution for him in his side, alt-right, domestic, violent extremists to take over the government, right? Make America white again or whatever they want. For them, it was make America great again. This was the day that Blue Lives Matter died. We don't hear that anymore. I agree. And before, I also want to kind of wrap up the point that I was making about um, the different waves of Asian communities. Um, You know, the more recent immigrants, they tend to tie to that anti-Blackness a little bit more, Um, whereas um, Asian families who were a part of building the fabric of the United States, 
the these incidents um, that have been happening in the last year, it's nothing new to them. And they've actually been a lot um, about the coalition building among minorities because they they um, they have more roots here in the United States versus um, a lot of these Asian immigrant. Um, depending on how they came in, if they bought their way into this country right. or if their kid um, was a student first and then brought the family over, they didn't have a full acculturation similar to like um, perfect example, Andrew Yang. Right. Um, that's a typical um, detached kind of assimilation. But um, in terms of the insurrectionists and the day Blue Lives Matter died. Right. Um, well, you make it, a good point because it, it, oh. what you're saying, and, and it's good because we have a 10 part series, right? And we could add on more, but it's complicated, right? And finance, anything that has two or more uh, segments to it makes it complicated, mm-hmm. but it's even more complicated than the lower level complications. You make a great point about the acculturation and the differences between Asian groups. And when Asians now come to us because they're being victimized, same way we've been victimized our whole lives. Everybody, and the way I view it as being a part of the group that has been on deck 24 seven since 1619. Right. Just keep it real. Since 1619, black people have been in rotation. It's kind of like, dude, you got a deal, right? You got a deal, and um, the, the the PSA thing is just a little too much for me. But there are some legitimate, I think, Asian voices who get it, who oh, have yeah. always gotten it. They they got it before this happened, and um, you can see the stark differences because because um, now now see this is a thing that's changed. And it's actually a positive because before. And I'm, you know, I'm the head of the Orange County Diversity Council, and uh, they try to take it over, they try to go to San Diego, this and that, because the LA group, the LA Diversity Council National Group is strong, like always, that's why I love LA, <laughs> right, it, it, it forward and back me up, but they, they got upset because the Pan-Asian, Asian group within the Diversity Council were saying, hey, we need help, we need to do this, and, you know, me being me. I raised my hand. And I said, okay, what's the percentage of business you guys give out? Because I was working with Kia. And with Kia, I should have charged a lot more. <laughs> it, but, and I should have got a piece of this. But Kia, when I was there, they, and I'm still consulting, but we got it to where it needs to be, but I'm still on call. They went from 1% of the vendors being Latino and Black to 9%. And still 91% other Asian vendors. So I raised my hand and I said, what's the percentage of Pan-Asian? Because you guys want help. What's the percentage of the vendors that you guys go to that are Black and Latino? And they shut down. So now they want help for not getting beat up. Now they can't shut down. What's your percentage of vendors that you have that are Black and Latino? Well, see, in in that case, they shouldn't be considered minority. (laughs) <laughs> they they just they and they should not they want my help now because they're not they're getting beat up the way we got beat up now what's the reciprocation of that because it goes both ways it does but also too um that goes back to a lot of these points 
um, between the two waves because right. a lot of Asian families who helped build this country, um, via their roots started from the railroads um, to uh, actually marching with, I mean, there are a lot of um, Asians who marched with um, Dolores Huerta, Cesar Chavez, and um, Martin Luther King. Those families are dialed in correctly. It's the new, it's the new immigrants. And the, the new wave, those are the ones where the PSA, um, I think the hotline and all that kind of stuff, because they don't know how to handle this stuff that's going on. And in some cases, they themselves have been a part of keeping a lot of this um, racism alive in their assimilation choice. And, and what I mean by that is um, playing to um, playing to different things, um, just like in the media, anti-blackness um, is one of those things. And getting back to your point about um, the insurrection, the day Blue Lives Mattered um, died. died. Um, you know, you had the Asian community was um, non-existent with other groups, you know. Um, so with um, this insurrection, as far as I'm concerned, um, it's never been about blue lives ever. It's been about anti-blackness right. and um, the demonization of um, black people standing up and calling out um, true malfeasance. Because it was about, okay, what about blue lives, right? Well, blue lives matter too. Now that you have five police officers who died on site. So it was interesting. Killed by when you're, white people. Killed, killed by, white, by people white people. And killed by other cops, right? One of the yep. the folks that got arrested, because what, what we've done is we've done a study, we put links to study of the synopsis and the narratives of folks who got arrested, right? Right. Uh, and after liberal, uh, uh, after liberal um, victimization, I'll, I'll tell you a story that I related in one of the podcasts, and I'd love to see your reaction to it. But now that you have five cops dead, right there, or five people there. Dead. One that died was this girl who had a thriving business in San Diego. She was in the military, and the cops told her to stop, and she kept on going. And she got shot and killed. Mm-hmm. But she's getting more grace than the black girl in North Carolina who was told to stop. And kept going. Oh, and she got shot. <laughs> one was like, "Oh, I can't believe she did that," and the other one is like, "Oh, uh, let's give well, her a little bit of grace." Taylor. Everything was well. Her her boyfriend was a drug dealer. Whatever. She was asleep in her bed. She worked for the law enforcement agency, and now we know that it was a botched. It was everything was completely botched, and they covered it up. You know, it, it's it's this thing. Um, it I think what what this is, Josh, is everybody is just afraid to call it what it is. Right. It's just racism. And afraid it, to call balls and strikes because we should be, and that's a should. Which I, I'm living in fantasy land, so let me get back to reality. But uh, 
at least we should pretend, right? I'll say that. At least there should be a veneer uh, in public discourse that we're calling balls and strikes, right? Like Brett Kavanaugh likes to say. And we're not, uh, because those are two things, because I'll admit it, I'm racist, right? But I don't allow my racism to get into discrimination. And I know I have unconscious biases, but I put the effort into seeing what those unconscious biases is and put an effort to call balls and strikes. And life is not fair, but I can be as fair as as possible. And I can educate other people if they choose to be fair, what my definition of fairness is, what their definition of fairness is, so we can get to an agreement uh, on it, right? But uh, that's not the case here, right? It's it's Mm -hmm. pure... uh, Hey, my it's team's structuralized got a racism. Right. And um, it's the vestiges of what I think is happening is society is changing. And it's part of um, part of, I think, um, the book recommendations I made. Um, the diversity, the, the landscape of this country is changing. Right. The grounding of America is changing. And you've got people that are cleaving to these archaic ideas and levels of entitlement and they go off like what's well, hypocritical because they're supposed to be against entitlement but they want some sort of but they're a part of it and and they and they benefited from it and they are afraid right they, they're afraid and then some of them think that this is the kind of things that you do and getting back to my point about um racism just here in california there are 72 groups. And I'm just going to give you some of the names of some of these groups. And they are currently being monitored by the, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center. And this, um, and so for your listeners to know, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center um, generally um, started up to track, um, to track um, racist acts against um in the south mainly in the south but then they started expanding their hate watch right program across the country because and of course um you know most people are very comfortable when they when um, we hear things about watching hate groups people are very comfortable when it's um regionalized to the south right. because of all that it implies people are okay with that just like now with um, these um, these political leanings that are coming up, and this is similar to why the um, insurrectionists are doing did their thing, and and it's extended into these um, protests for critical race theory, you know, um, education in schools about what what is critical race racism? theory? Um, basically. Um, getting the United States to stop lying in the classroom to our young people <laughs> about what happened. <laughs> I mean, even I, I even take my own public school education and I was in the advanced academic program and um, some of some of the um, information that I got about um, the the Civil War and the causes of it was basically bullcrap. Right. And of course, fortunately, I had um, instructors and, and, and fortunately enough, 
um, being in the advanced academic program, um, my instructors challenged that and they were anti-racist. Right. Um, so uh, we were able to get into get into the real facts and, you know, but um, people who are standing up and, and speaking out against this, it, it, it's all a part of this clinging to this um, supremacy idea. And All right, so let me let me let me get to idea. liberal. Uh, I'll read out the names of the book, and we'll talk about liberal uh, victimization, right? Mm -hmm. Because liberal victimization is something that a lot of people who had speeches and wrote emails had this in the email, and Laura Trump had liberal victimization in the one of the emails to gather people for the insurrection, right? Mm -hmm. uh, also, uh, she used to be on Fox and she's now, she used to be Gavin Newsom's wife and now she's dating- Kimberly really Gasoil. Right, she had liberal victimization in her speech at the Republican uh, National Convention and so did Don Jr., coincidentally enough. So you have mediocre, right? Dangerous legacy of white male America by Iomi Ola? Um, no, it's Ijoma. Oh, Ijoma, all right. Ijoma. Uh, white white fr Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. Yes, Robin D'Angelo is um, a very well noted um, um, anti-racist educator. Um, she is a white woman who um, did her PhD studies in the studies of whiteness, and she educates um, white Americans about um, racial bias and racism and white privilege. Right. And um, I actually had the privilege of interviewing her um, on the, I think it was the fifth episode of my show. All right, so we'll put a link to that in the episode notes. Yeah. All right, and then we have uh, Diversity Explosion by William Frey, right? Uh, Addressing racism, facilitating yes. cultural competence. Yes. And that breaks down. Yeah, it breaks down the um, it breaks down the changing demographics of the United States. Right. And you got uh, Madonna G. Constantine, Ph.D., and Wing Sue, Ph.D., and then The Color of Success. This is a myth, right? Uh, it's not backed by any science or. It is a complete myth. And um, she does um, the author. Um, her last name's Wu. Right, right. right. Uh, yeah, because uh, the book, and we'll put a link to this book too, The Triple Package by Amy Schumer. Uh, controversial book because what she used to do, she was a professor, I think she still is at Princeton Law School, and she would take the course that looked like uh, supermodels and send her to Brent Kavanaugh. When, when he was a federal judge, they would all clerk for him. But she wrote a great book based on science, and it talked about the cultural groups that make the most money, and they have the most money. And, of course, I like it because it says that Cubans are the ones that have the highest per capita income of any ethnic group in the United States. But it was but that's interesting. per capita, though. That, that, that's actually twisting things. And then for the Cuban community to have gotten that information, to even get that per capita, 
um, there are some things that they had to do, um, like take advantage of minority programs. Of they course, they took advantage of minority program, but a lot of it was the Barcard D family, Dixie, Sugar, right? Uh, also, mm-hmm. the Land Barons, who with the Bush family and the Graham family own like 60% of the real estate in Florida. So you have uh, top-heavy billionaire families that during the revolution came over to the United States and uh, the migration was a big brain drain to Cuba. So the top half of people who were in Cuba in the 50s, in the early 60s, all migrated towards uh, the United States. That's why Cubans, Cuba's ethnicity has the highest per capita income of any ethnic group. Now, similar to that I are the Persians. Yeah, this, the number two would be um, Persians. Jews are like number six, and Asians are a distant seventh. Number but three. In the Asian community, um, you have to separate it because um, right, right, Southeast right. Asians are extracted out of that. Right, you right. Know, and then have, um, the third ethnic group with the most money are immigrants and they kind of pushed it together, but immigrants they came from the Cayman Islands, from Jamaica, Kamala Harris types, and uh Nigeria. So I don't know how you get Nigeria, Jamaica <laughs> in the Cayman Islands together, well, but that would be those- the third per capita. It's those groups, um, because a lot of them, and pretty much what's consistent with all three of those groups that you mentioned, they all set up micro economies that excluded, that excluded others. Well, the Cuban community would be different because what happened with the Cuban community is not all Cubans look like me or as dark as me. Uh, People are shocked to say that, well, you know, like, um, Cameron Diaz, right? Cameron Diaz is Cuban, mm-hmm. but most would confuse her for being a, a white girl. So a lot yeah. of Cubans benefited yes. from white privilege. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of Cubans, oh, that, that lady is blonde hair, blue eyes, da da da. She must be from Switzerland. No, she's Cuban. <laughs> so that's another reason why the Cuban community has the highest per capita income. But well, the, back to yeah. the insurrectionists, they said, going in, I'd like to know your thoughts on this, in conjunction with all this, and only somebody with your background, education, and intelligence can kind of piece this together. They're saying, right, to get them to come to the Capitol, to get them to pledge over $500 million, and really that's at the root of it. They pledged $500 million as small dollar donors. And one of the main pitches they got them to come to the insurrectionists. And part of the insurrectionist DNA, people that rush the capital, DNA. And I'll put this as a two-part question. It's number one, right? What they call, in their eyes, liberal victimization, right? Which <laughs> is making everybody a victim and getting people who just got here from Guatemala free healthcare, free college, and a thousand dollars income. And that takes money away from me. That's why I'm poor. That's why I got divorced. And that's why I'm under economic stress. That's, you know, 
part one of the question. And then I'll have a part two after this. What are your thoughts on that whole uh, thought process? They're not alone. There are people <laughs> on the left who think that. Right. I mean, um, I know that I think the communication that was sent to to um, the insurrectionists, it was a wordplay. Right. Um, I don't, again, it goes back to the root problem racism and those that wrote those communications and use that i think use that terminology with these individuals it's dog whistle language to them right to um but i wonder what percentage of the people of racism are like um the guy who's on the city council ortiz who's on the city council huntington beach city council running on a racist agenda but he's on unemployment. A, a lot of these people, or uh, one is Russ Taylor that we detailed on the podcast. Russ Taylor, uh, big time, talking about liberal victimization. Uh, you know, all of our money going to, the, to these people. To but he took a P P P P loan. He took a PPP loan. So there's a lot of hypocrisy involved. Because why, right? If you're, this is turning into a socialist country, so I'm going to use the part of the Second Amendment that says I have the right to bear arms to fight for the best interest of all. And for the best interest of all is that this should not be a socialist country, right? And he's saying that he's recruiting people to come to Washington for the riots. And he takes pictures of himself walking into the Capitol. He's probably going to get arrested. His, his house has been raided. But why do you now take a PPP loan? Entitlement. <laughs> it, that, that, it, it is. It's right. entitlement. My whole thing is um, besides the racist motivation, right. uh, I think that these individuals were um, people who um, really felt that having 45 in office, they could basically bear their racist freak flag, so to speak. Where but but it's not just racism. I, and I, now and it, now they have now they have to go back. They have to they have to put they have to put that back in the box. Um, you know, those feelings got cultivated during the Obama years. And um 45 um, gave them permission to do it and for them to feel that they needed to storm the Capitol the way they did and for them to still be in denial that 45 um, is no longer president and they it, it, it it's their identity now um, but it's also economics right it they, a lot almost everybody that rushed the capital no different than anyone else's that's right. the thing it's no different. And, and for them, though, it's never been about economics. It's been about their entitlement to whatever they wanted. And they've never had to work this hard. And also, another thing is they're the ones who had no business voting Republican if they feel like their pockets are this, are this messed up. Right that they were voting against their own interests, against their own interests. And basically right now it's kicking them in their butt 
and the fact that a lot of these people are being charged as being a part of the insurrection and they realize that this thing that they were propping up is not coming to help save them or um, help them, that they're on their own now. Um, the ones who are still ride or die to the end, even though they're going to, you know, they're going to jail over it. Um, they're in a special category, but these ones who are getting busted, um, especially some of these business owners and when people in their community find out that they were part of something like that and they're losing their businesses, the, the phony remorse is the part that I find different. And to use the words, um, how they got ginned up with, I think, um, was it liberal um, victimization? Right. I think this is um, conservative victimization. You know, you don't go, you don't push hate, you don't, you don't stand and coddle hate the way that you have done for the last four years and then play victim like this. No one cares. Right. Right. And the yeah. root of this is just um, racism. And I know people dance around excuses. Oh, it's a mental issue. Yeah, it could be, but also too, it's racist. It, it's racism. It's it's um, supremacy. No, These so people now, are but, just used to used to America um, coddling to the standard of whiteness at where they just get things no questions asked. And this country has now become a country of where everybody must compete. And, you know, me being a Democrat, the one real reality um, that I have always lived in is that this country does not work the same for me. It never has. And, um, and I doubt in my lifetime it ever will work for me at the same level of um, these individuals of privilege. Because that's it, why they're going nuts like this, because it's basically 1459 basically right and scapegoating so they want to assign to someone right blame for their, their their you know being disenfranchised and then the the cultural war of it where hey it's legal to have mexicans uh asians indians whoever on your little league team and they're not hurting anybody playing little league baseball now aside from People using mental health as a crush, right? Or using an excuse to commit crime. When you take that out of it and you look at describing the personality of the heads of the three percenters, um, Proud Boys, uh, um, the Oath Keepers, right? Yeah, um, th those that that's a problematic group. Also, um, there's a group. Um, I, I said I was going to mention some names. Um, yeah. Let me give you one. Um, and actually, this group has um, ties in Orange County um, in Laguna Woods, Corona, Mission Viejo. Yeah, um, my hood. It's, they, they call themselves Act for America. Got it. They're, they're actually an anti-Muslim group. And then another group in Orange County um, that um, 
you know, Orange County and particularly um, Huntington Beach has a skinhead problem. Right. Like nobody's business. Um, there's, um, let's see here. Um, they call themselves the Golden State Skinheads. Got it. Um, that's that's a hate group that's actually being watched um, right now by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Right. Um, another group, um, they're calling themselves the, was it, co-certified, which um, um, I don't really get that. Um, another group called Mass Resistance, and a lot of these people were um, insurgents um, in um, the Capitol. Um, the National Reform Reformation Party, there are several members of that group. Um, interesting enough, um, there's a group that's a white nationalist group that's based in Laguna Hills. It's called the Occidental Observer. Okay. Um, so it's a publication that's being passed out and it's being watched right now. We'll put and a link to that on the episode notes. Pardon? I'll put uh, a link to the website for these people on the episode yeah. notes. And on these episode notes, I'll put also links, all the books Janet mentioned, also links to the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, uh, the 3%ers. So you can read their website. Yeah. What, what Patriot they, Front. Yeah. Patriot Front had a lot of. So let me go through the list of anti personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And to me, it reminded me a lot of the leaders of this group. And who does this remind you of, right? Number one, lack of remorse, right? And that's part of uh, what we see in doubling down. Some people are trying to come up with excuses, really the layman, people with economic pressure, the leaders that are well-funded. And after this, after this question, second part will be, what has your research told you about people who funded uh, the ground troops, if you will, to go there, right? So we'll go through the list and who, now the DSM, the way the DSM works, that's a dialectical statistical model for psychiatric disorders. Now, Janet and I aren't psychotherapists. My wife is. So my wife is actually very, very good. People always looking, some people are like, if my kid has to see a psychotherapist, going no other people than my wife. She's very good at diagnosing things. Janet and I, all we are are people with master's levels degrees, with experience, with intelligence, who use this as reference to understand our surroundings, which is basic survival skills, and to give us insight, mm-hmm. right, into who some of these Trump voters are. And I'll ask you who it reminds me of, and I'll tell you who it reminds me of. So lack of remorse, double down like the leaders are doing, right? This is 1776. Matt Gates, right? He says, hey, under the Second Amendment, we have the right to bear arms and we have the right to fight the government, right, with arms for the good of all. And socialism is not for the good of all. So we can shoot up Nancy Pelosi if you want. All right. Frequent lying, right? Uh, someone broke the record for lying under for being president. Lack of empathy, right? Uh, he backtracked on the dreamers because people got at him for lack of empathy during COVID nineteen. Well, Supreme Court too, <laughs> right? The Supreme Court wouldn't allow it. 
superficial charm, right? Home Alone 2, lack of emotions. So in the DSM, you have to have five out of seven to be this, right? And then uh, constantly looking for sensations, right? You're married with to Melania, but you're still dating the Stormy Daniels or something. Well, who does this remind you of? This is anti-personality disorder. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Somebody who drinks lots of diet coke, doesn't eat healthy, yeah. he has a wig, um, his niece came out on a bag on him and wrote a book last year. Right. Hmm, let me think. Oh, he and his father were accused of um, racial discrimination in housing. Um, he had that TV show. Um, <laughs> The Apprentice. And, and I feel, what do you think about this? A lot of the inf- insurrection, it's funny because this is 3% of the population. One of the groups is the 3%ers, even though what they mean is the 3% of farmers who went against the British government during the revolution. But it's funny, they're called the 3%ers. And 3%ers of the population has this disorder. And they remind me a lot of people who are the insurrectionists. Be. Yeah. But those people made their choice to it's not an excuse for them. This is just defining who they are. The United States government. Right. You know, I have I have no sympathy for anyone who tries to overthrow our government and also who tries to lie about an election. Right. So we'll close with this. Let me tell you the story of and we related it before. Because, you know, they say at the end of the day, podcasting is storytelling. And this, and we've given you a complete, comprehensive, right? Ten different podcasts with different perspectives. A lot of research, right? A lot of giving you both sides of the story. Eric Norland, right? Uh, I believe that's his last name. But this is the story. What's more important, not the details, but the actual story. When Eric was playing... Because a lot of what we're talking about is inadequacies. People feel inadequate, insecure. People feel powerless. When he was in Little League, he used to cry after striking out. And none of the guys on the team liked him because he was bad at baseball. So he wasn't part of a group. His dad uh, went from being a dishwasher to a manager of a restaurant, gets married and divorced. Then he begs his ex-in-laws for money to start a restaurant. And he grew that restaurant to Wally's uh, Snow Crabs in Seattle. So this is a story out of the LA Times. We'll put a link to it. So Eric, right, you and I, if we could have a dime for each time a guy told us he was a Navy SEAL, we would both be rich right now. So he attempted to be a Navy SEAL. And we know about the Navy SEALs that when you go through that program, you self-select out. You have to ring the bell. If you don't ring the bell, no matter what torture you can, you complete the program. So he rung the bell. He got kicked out of the Navy SEALs. He comes back home. He has no idea what he's going to do with his life. His dad makes him a waiter at the restaurant, and then he becomes a manager of the restaurant. He feels disenfranchised. 
His dad isn't giving him enough money at the restaurant, and he becomes a proud member of the Proud Boys. And in the Proud Boys, he found, you know, um, uh, brotherhood and friendship. And remember, we had podcast number four. We talked about, you know, what are some of the triggers, right, for you to belong to one of these groups. And our guy from the military told us that he was in the military, guys like this, and that they want brotherhood. They want camaraderie, right? And they find that in these groups, and these guys are easy to rile up. So he found, you know, people who accepted him, you know. So he goes and he knocks out a guy from Antifa, and the video becomes viral. And then, not thinking of his poor dad, he goes on the Alex Jones show. And Alex Jones show makes a big deal about it. Video becomes viral. Then he goes on the Steve Bannon show. Now, the wife of this guy who built these two restaurants, and of course this guy's a workaholic, she's a, I'll call her a racist because she made racist statements online, Proud Boys, this and that. So, people go crazy in Seattle, and they start boycotting this man's restaurant. And his restaurant takes a plunge. The dad does not know what to do. And he makes a statement that I'll read. And I'm quoting the uh, LA Times. Pulling it up right now. While you're pulling that up, sure. I can let everybody know that there's a clothing brand. Um, it's called Right Brand Clothing, based in Anaheim. It's on the um, Southern Poverty Law Center's watch site. So even a clothing brand. Wow. So it's, yeah. Um, and then the group um, called Rise Above Movement. You just listen to these names. They don't. They don't sound like they're white supremacist groups, but they are. Right. Um, that group is based in Huntington Beach. Wow, right here in Huntington Beach, a clothing brand. And there's a lot of what we saw, too, that we mentioned on the podcast, a lot of uh, opportunists who took uh, the opportunity to, uh, they're not necessarily racist or political, but they, they can connect the dots trigger these people and monetize their uh, hate. Right, their hate. They monetize their hate, yeah. Yes. And that's why that's why you want to um, watch out for this. And right. I think the um, Southern Poverty Law Center, splcenter.org, is a good site um, for everybody. Right. And um, particularly to see how close to Orange County um, there's a group called San Diegans for Secure Borders. It's basically an anti-immigrant group. Right. It's okay to want order in the country, but it's it's dysfunctional right. when you start to demonize people. Right. So the, um, the kid's the name. Part. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the kid's name is Ethan Nordine. 
So his dad, right, Wally Nordeen from Wally's uh, Snow Crab in Seattle said, let me say this off the bat. I love my son. He wrote in a public statement June 19th. So this is June 19th, right after, yeah, right after the George Floyd situation. And he had knocked out the guy, Antifa, on on, um, video. The video goes viral when he goes to the Alex Jones show and the Steve Bannon show. Was it actually a person from Antifa? Because, and the reason why I say this is a lot of, and again, this goes back to race um, that has to be pointed out. A lot of white activists um, have a tendency to co-opt black causes. And, um, and, and I want your listeners to know just culturally, culturally black people don't, um, involve themselves in violent groups like Antifa. Well, on an episode is short for anti-fascist, anti-fascism, um, culturally in the black community, um, we're either, um, coalesced amongst ourselves as well with other, um, civil rights groups, an anti-fascism group is not typically something that's in our community. And there has been, um, since, um, a lot yeah, a lot of, of people are connecting black lives matter, matter they're, they're, which is a hashtag Antifa and it's not correct. It's not even culturally correct. Right. Uh, a lot of people take this, I think take, um, too many unqualified liberties in um, co-opting black causes. All right. So, uh, episode four, we went deep into Antifa is, and then uh, after this story, we'll define uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa now. And this story is uh, identified as Antifa by the uh, LA, New York Times, and the Washington Post, and then less credible sources such as Steve Bannon and Alex Jones. <laughs> well, that's what I mean, and, and they, but, and they or, do that on purpose. On video, he knocked out right hate and racism. So on video, he knocked out some guy fully dressed in black who identified himself to as an Antifa person, which usually Antifa don't identify themselves. But well, that that's the sources we have. And what people don't understand too is Antifa is short for anti-fascism. Right. That they don't believe in any government. They don't believe in Biden or Kamala Harris as much as they believe in Trump, but they are as anti-government. But you would think most Republicans and Libertarians would be down with that program. Right, and and they are, but they need a scapegoat. Remember that. So, on June 19th last year, that said, I admit I was slow to recognize how radical, racist, and violent this group is until recently my wife and I that's where I jumped trip because he knows his wife is racist. And he knows his wife it tried to scrub everything off the internet, but it was funny. Uh, one of the ladies on the next door, Seattle, or where she's from, the little town she's from, she's like, you can scrub anything you want, but I got this thing called screenshot. <laughs> I screenshotted everything you said. All right, so he had to have known. This is where the statement becomes disingenuous because he had to have known how racist his wife is. But again, this is a guy who built two restaurants from scratch. So he's probably buried in work. But he didn't say anything until, he was, until his pocketbook got hit. And well, exactly. And, 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 exactly. I'll, and I'll let you comment right after I finish the statement. 
So until very recently, my wife and I, that's where I jumped ship, were blind to the ideology, the racist ideology that our son supports and has adopted. Statement said, quotation mark, we were told by our son that this group was a patriotic group. And you can speak to, hey, weren't the Republicans supposed to be the patriots? Patriotic is who stood up for freedom of speech and traditional American values. You can explain to me what you, your thoughts on what traditional American values are. And we regrettably believe them. So what's your thoughts on all that? Um, it, it's just tap dancing. That's all it is. It's just tap dancing. What are American and, traditional and American values that we're losing with? With you and I. What and he's talking Asia. about is he, he's talking about the standard of whiteness defining. <laughs> right. That's that's right. why I said it's just tap dancing. Right. It it's tap dancing, you know, and that's what do we do with it, Ethan Nordine? He's a frustrated white guy. Finally got married. Remember, he got you you he sucked in uh baseball. He got beat up, he started learning karate. He goes to the Navy SEALs. He kicks himself out by giving up and ringing the bell. That's just his mediocrity. I mean, he, he needs to come to terms with his mediocrity. Now, people cried, right? Well, there's the thing. People cried. They went into therapy when Trump won, right? Uh, the realization is that there's pretty much 73 million Ethan Nordines out there. And that's yeah. just a fact that people need to realize. And we don't cancel him, you know. I'll have him on the podcast. We can talk, right? Now, see, what do we do with him? Cancellation and consequences. I mean, that's just it. What he's experiencing is consequences of his silence and co-signing of activity. And he just, there's nothing that we can do for him. He just needs to come to terms with his own mediocrity and his bad decisions. And one, um, and and one thing I would I would talk to Josh Hawley about, right? I would talk to Langsford about, and I would talk to Mitch McConnell about Trump himself and Laura Trump, because I think uh, and I'd like you to know your thoughts on this. The root of all evil was the love of money of Laura Trump, getting rid of all the 2016 campaign people who knew how to raise money from normal Republicans. They ran out of money. They had to start raising money from the Ethan Nordines of the world. And then after the election, uh, Ethan Nordeen would believe he wants his team to win. So he believes the, the election was rigged. He, they, he, they riled all these people up. And not only did they destroy uh, the five people that died that day, not only did they destroy the 10 police officers who have committed suicide, all across the country, the ripple effect, is Wally Snow Crab, the guy built this restaurant for years from that, he's destroyed that family. And many families like this across the country. Um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't say that. It's, it, um, Wally Snow Crabs, they could have done their own, their own um, damage control. Um, and it goes back to, but I think um, it's it, it's far his decision, his decisions, and it and it just goes back to um, he went years being comfortable about um, 
basically supporting racism. And now we're in a climate where people are just not going to tolerate it. He can still operate his business. I'm sure he can market it. I mean, heck, he can go to this site. But it's not just um, the, the business it, it, it or the family. Justice Institute, and they can have and, and he can host them and right. he can make money. Um, but people, um, but there's a difference between. Well, now the mom's going to choose between. Races. Now the mom's going to choose between the son and the husband. So what has happened is that with Trump and, you know, Josh Holland, all these people keep pounding that drum. Uh, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers mm-hmm. in this round, because I think and we'll close with uh, Insurrection 2.0. How is that going to look like on this round? I have, you know, an uncle who's been saying this stuff for years, right? And now he doesn't get invited to Thanksgiving. I think that has accelerated that. And that has, yeah, along with Fox News, exactly, included yeah. the polarization or Well, you don't need that negativity. It, right. It's just ultimate negativity. And I think um, it, it goes back to what I said um, for so long. I think we've had a large segment of our population that have really been in denial about the reality of the root cause of a lot of these problems, like the insurrection. And people now are making a choice to deal with it head on, um, particularly if they know they are anti-racist. If you're anti-racist, you're gonna cut out people people like that out of your life. And this um, is the thing, a lot in of- In that exact way. I, I don't have anybody like that right. in my life. I'm anti-racist, um, you know, um, and I think it's, and for some people who um, say, well, I'm not racist, you've got to go further than that. You've got to be anti-racist. And if you're only willing to say, well, I'm not racist, potentially you're part of the problem. You, you're part of the problem of being silent with um, a lot of these other activities. And most people are just stepping up and saying, I'm anti-racist. I don't want that stuff around me. I don't want to go anywhere or be around anybody who supports that kind of stuff or who remains silent around that kind of stuff. And, and, and that's the real problem, right? Because you have people like the dad who remain silent because he wants black people to come into his snow crab place and buy food. He wants them to come on a regular basis. He wants to monetize it. So there's a lot of hardcore racist people that don't come out because of the money, right? And things have gotten crazy now that we have to flush them out. Even with myself, I probably would not have kicked off Dr. Gardner off the podcast before George Floyd. We would have, you know, tried to engage him more. Now I was like, no, you got to (laughs) go. Now, well, you know what I mean? Well, some people, and, and I think um, Dr. Um, Robin D'Angelo's book, she explains why it's difficult for um, white people to talk about racism. And, and it literally is something that shuts down in people's psyche, particularly if they have lived a life of privilege or um, a life of never being told no. And, and, you know, and, and never being told no can mean different things to different people. Um, but the difference is 
we know that America works different for white males than it does me, like me. Right. So Ethan Nordine, white, white male. A white male, a white male will lose their mind if they lived in my life. Right. Same here. Same in my life. They, I, to be honest, I don't think many, probably 80% of white guys couldn't um, survive my life. Right. Or been able I'd to have that. More than that. <laughs> right. the, only, the only ones who would, would be the ones who are living a hard life now. Right. They would be the ones that would be able to do. So we'll close with it with this two part question. Does Ethan or Dean seem to you like typical insurrectionist, right? Yeah. Background pathology. And then yeah. what does uh to close out, what does insurrection 2.0 look like? Because that thing is happening again. I don't think it's gonna happen as soon as Josh Holly and Eric uh whatever his name is gets wants it. But there's going to be somebody who's smarter than Trump, not going to make the mistakes Trump makes. And really, when you look down to the root of it, this I has the same Nazi answer. marketing, you know, same Nazi marketing program that worked in the 30s and that worked again to elect the U.S. president. And this time got um, 73 million votes. I think um, if, if a 2.0 happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, be financial. And it's going to be tied. Oh, to yeah, I forgot about that. The, what what does your research stuff. say about the people who funded this? The people who got the permit for the rally? Uh, it was the one percent. But who? I mean, I know one is the um, the public the main, family. The main um, the main players that are tied to supporting the Republican Party. Um, the because this was extreme. Because you're supposed to have, and you can break this down for me as we close, right? What's the difference in what's happened to what McConnell, because McConnell is not defining himself right anymore. He used to be at some point. Now, his parents were the pioneers in a main cog in the wheel for the civil rights movement. McConnell's parents, especially in the state of Kentucky. Then McConnell started out for maybe the first 30 years as a uh, center right person. There was center right and there was center left. He was center right. Now he is a domestic violent extremist and domestic violent apologist is where McConnell sits now. Mitt Romney, right? He's center right. And so is um, Cheney, right? She's Mitt Romney sits wherever is convenient for him. Right. So, but he's center right, right? Based on what he's saying, how he's voting, he's center right. Sass, he's borderline domestic violent extremist because he didn't come out. He was an apologist all the way until he saw some polling that maybe he can win a primary as in that lane, right? Uh, so what, what happened to all that? Because all that, I guess you're throwing it out the window because you're not supporting the Demo the, the Republican party. You're supposed, you're supporting domestic violent extremists. Not, not all of them are like that. Not all the 1% is like that. Bloomberg's in the 1% and he has $69 billion 
on the Democrat side. Same thing for Bill Gates, looking for Tom well, Steyer. You know, um, actually, though, when you talk about um, Bloomberg, Bloomberg's not a Democrat. He's an independent. Right, but he ran in the Democratic primary, so that's where he's hanging. Yeah, he 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 um, petitioned that that people need to know that right. you you just don't roll in. You petition. He petitioned some people. And some people stood up for him. Right. In the Democratic Party. And then the last first two terms of mayor of New York, he ran as a Republican. Then he ran as a Democrat his last mm-hmm. term there. Well, because his last time he was a registered Democrat. Right. But then um, when he ran for president, he's, he's now an independent. But for him to even. But he get wouldn't, that, he wouldn't support. Petition. Right. But he wouldn't support an insurrection or pay for the permits right. for, for something like that. Who are the other ones? I know you have, uh, you know one of them personally, right? One of the um, the yeah, heir to the, the public's. One of the heirs from the public's um, fortune. And, um, you know, that, and of course it forced um, the supermarket chain to come out separately and um, talk about that and separate itself, the corporation from the heiress. Yeah, because somebody was going to shoot up one of their stores. And then uh, you have Miss Gold in L.A. who dropped yeah. down $2 million. And you got to remember, when you drop down $2 million to fly people to Washington for the Capitol riots and exactly. participate and put up websites for domestic violent extremists, alt-right, uh, radical right extremist right uh it's not tax it's not a tax deduction so no. you're, you're doing it because you you actually want to get something done he took two million for recall newsom and she put two million for the capital riots money she's not okay. getting back gold so those are two specific you have two other specific folks and if you can tell us the dynamics of all that and maybe some accountability that the people who are funding it do it because they're the same ones who are going to try to fund uh, Insurrection 2.0. No. Um, well, first off, the funders, they're never going to be held accountable because um, right now the laws are favoring the rich. And also those donations that they made, um, as messed up as it is, they um, – those donations were made the right way. Legally. Yeah, they were legally made. So um, basically what what you had the case of wealthy people um, found the cord at what would gen up people to um, do an action and send a message that they wanted to create some confusion. I believe that the insurrection um, was an affront for other things. I think for a lot of financial, um, um, you know, nefarious things that are going on in the financial sector. Um, And I think that the insurrection was a distraction during that time. And um, probably in the coming months, we're going to find out with the current administration, they're going to find out what what that distraction was about. Well, no, there was a lot of major layers to it, right? Fundamentally, you had the Tea Party movement. Hey, taxation without representation. 
You're giving all my money to dreamers and to watermelon. Yeah, that, that's but that's an underlying. Yeah, that's an underlying and way to to get people there, right? So Miss Gold, those people, tea partiers, like the real tea partiers, they didn't vote. They didn't vote for forty five. Most of them are never Trumpers, and a lot of them are tied to the Lincoln Project. Well, a lot of extreme Tea Party people. Uh, probably there was a split. The tea party. They're, they're hardcore. Extreme, when you use the word extreme, it's not about taxes. The, t- the the Tea Party bit, that's like that's like the thing that kind of tries to keep them nice. The other, the extreme part, that's the racist part. That was, that's the, the part. Right, right. But I, looking at the numbers, right, and you're looking at the messaging they got, right. They get the deficit, it's, and it's all hypocritical, right? Because Republican presidents yeah, are the ones who avoid. Ran up, he ran up the deficit like right, with, with the tax cut. But uh, uh, Deborah Polly, who we had a podcast with her, she ran in, a, uh, she's on the Republic Central Committee. She's a big Trump person, big Tea Party person. And that's part of the liberal victimization, right? That you're giving all my money to people who just got here from Guatemala for free health care, free college. And that's what's blowing up the deficit. And the Tea Party part of it is I have the right under the Second Amendment to bear arms and blow stuff up and shoot people up for the greater good. And part of that is my money not going to Guatemalans for free health care and free college, right? So that's that Tea Party element. That was, you know, you an underlying factor for the people to show the U.S. government. That's the thing. Why are you going to take on the most efficient military um, organization? You know, the country with the most efficient military. That, that it makes no sense. You can you can be pissed off about taxes. You can be pissed off about. Um, money being allocated, however, but you do not have the right to overthrow the U.S. government. Right. The problem is, I 100% agree with you. The problem is that Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, uh, even Lansford in Oklahoma, Steve Bannon, Alex Jones, all of them are exploiting that misguided uh crazy ideology to rile these people up because you're like how am i going to rile these people up to do something like this right yeah you and, tap and that's one of the elements racism. they do that you tap into racism to do it all those other things taxes and who's getting money that's the periphery that's the part that people crutch to to say oh no it's not racist that's the quick thing that they cling to but you got to admit that on top of racism break it down racism is a big part of it but an additional part of it to get people riled up is that factor and it's linked to race because they feel that if the yeah. money was going to another white person, oh, then it's, I'm all right with it. Trump's a rich guy. Da, da, da. Going to Trump, I'm poor. I'm getting beat up. Okay. But going to Guatemalan, going to a black person, oh, oh, oh that's when they start fighting. Well, and that's what's tapping that in. And these people know what they're doing. And they know who they can do that with. Right. And 
people who fit these personality profiles we talked about. Health thing. These people are inherently racist. They know how to gin them up and get them to the polls or to get them to think that they're being attacked so right. that they can do something. But to do something irresponsible if you have a list if you have a list of people with anti-personality disorder or different other mental processes or somebody with a life story of Ethan or Dean, those are really good recruits for these extreme violent groups. And they're actually doing a good job for themselves of recruiting that. And I think that's the way uh, Insurrection 2.0 looks like the only danger is what you tapped into janet uh having a guy like uh who got pardoned who kidnapped mm -hmm. the uh flynn right having a michael flynn right he kidnaps uh a dissident from turkey illegally gets paid by the authoritarian turkish president sixty thousand dollars with his brother who's still a general in the army they do this and they get away with it Want to talk about white general privilege? <laughs> he gets away with kidnapping uh, a guy. Yeah. You know, he gets away with it, and then he gets an additional pardon. And somehow he's on the street, right? And but, somehow he's on the street right now. But Whereas if he were black, he would have been executed by now. Well, he he's a general too, and he's only one, right? So for there to be a successful coup, you would need about ten gen. You would need ten Michael Flynn's to be able to pull it off. But I think. Uh, insurrection 2.0, capital riots 2.0. Because Dr. Gardner said, well, this was well planned. And I'm like, if something's well planned, it also has to be well executed. It was maybe well planned by a couple guys at the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, but it was poorly executed, right? They, they couldn't kill Nancy Pelosi. They couldn't kill Mike Pence. And I think that's what's going to happen with Capital Rise 2.0, they're going to execute better. They're not going to win because that's another thing. We'll close with this. And you can give us final thoughts. Through this whole process, uh, kudos to the founding fathers who anticipated this. And let's say you kill Mike Pence. There's still documentation at the Supreme Court, the federal court in Washington, Philadelphia, and Delaware where the banks or the, the Federal Reserve Bank can sign off and execute the transfer of power that way. You didn't actually need Pence there. And you get, get Pence out, then you got to kill Pelosi. You kill Pelosi, then Pence, then it gets worse on you, right? It gets worse on you because then you have Schumer as president. So uh, Next 2.0, they'll probably kill a Pence. They'll probably kill a Nancy Pelosi, but they won't be able to kill anyone, everyone, and be able to do a successful coup. I think it's almost impossible. And the reason I think it's impossible, and let me know your thoughts, uh, Janet, as we close up. The reason I think it's impossible is because since we have the strongest military in the world, we have the strongest and most secure banking system in the world. So you have CCP members, you have people of the Russian army who deposit money in U.S. banks because it's more secure. And if their side of the Communist Party, whatever country they're in, gets beat, they got to haul butt out of there and get to the United States and get to their secure money. 
what happens with that, it makes the deficit irrelevant because we can borrow off our own money at low interest rate because at least for now, we have such a huge influx of foreign dollars because the dollar is the most secure currency in the world. Yeah, I think that I think it's our currency, not our banking system, because um, some foreigners foreigners are um, manipulating our banking system. But it's still with that manipulation. It's the valuation of the U.S. Dollar. Which banking system is more secure, more powerful than the U.S.? None. I we do have problems. Swiss, we have problems. I think but, it's the Swiss banking system is right. The best. But they're tiny. They're tiny, right? Compared, uh, the U.S. banking system has between. 26 trillion in the housing market and then 16 trillion in the stock market and another five another 25 trillion in deposits so that comes on close to 60 70 trillion in the swiss banking system um it's about a trillion that we know of probably another two Three trillion that we don't know. I think it's much higher. Yeah, but it's not anywhere because near close. We, yeah, it's not anywhere near close to the because of um, the U.S. because one. of the privacy. Right, and it's the not privacy. anywhere near close to the U.S. banking system. Now, what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders tap into in the book, the One Percent, there's a Swiss bank, you have the American Federal Reserve Bank, and then you have a bank in France, bank in Italy, right, right next to the Vatican, and a bank in Germany. Now, those five banks never have in history, right, the so-called elites, reported how much they have in deposits. Well, now, those banks will France. rival what's in the U.S., but common folk, uh, random general France. from Nicaragua, they can put their money in the U.S. banking system. Which they shouldn't, but that's another, <laughs> that's another They shouldn't, but it's legal for them to do so, unfortunately. Yeah, they it, shouldn't be able to, but yeah. And we're the only banking it, system that, that'll guarantee it up to 100000 Um. Well, the, the I think a lot of it is even if they lose money because of our value of our currency is the only reason why they're doing that. We're secure. Because it, it will always... Cause, but, but think about it. Does a currency have value? To their home. But if they come, even if they lost money right. in the U.S. market and they convert it into money from their home country, it's still a lot of money. Well, let me ask you this question. Is a currency valuable if you can't withdraw the money when you need to? It depends on, it depends it, on the reason. Right. So if you cannot have access to your money, then the the value of the currency becomes irrelevant so that's why uh the u.s having the most secure banking system in the world i think protects us from a coup final thoughts janet what are your thoughts what do you think i think that um the insurrection um has basically opened up at why the united states needs to once and for all deal with its racist past and as we move forward um uh, start to become a country that builds a culture of anti-racism that's i'll keep it short with that 100 <laughs> percent. and then the only thing i would add on is uh 
This is the what? The real one I got locked away. This is the watered down version. People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. <laughs> Did you mm-hmm. read the book list we'll have on the, the you gave us? Thank you so kindly mm-hmm. for that. And we should tell the truth, right? Let's lead with the evidence is and let's put in to our curriculums what really went down and how it went down and yeah, why it went down. Who it was stolen from, <laughs> right. everything. Yeah, just everything. And just stop with the nonsense. And and what's happening is these old ideals are being torn down and the truth is starting to rise. That's exactly that's exactly what the insurrection was about. The the lies and the myth of of who really um um who really sets the standard in the United States, it's dying out. Right. The country is becoming more diverse and we now have to be a true society, um, an equitable society. And some people don't like it. Right. And and, in it, two things too, right? Financial education and then uh, kind of an attack on hypocrisy. Because if you really don't believe in entitlement, then really do not believe (laughs) In entitlement and privilege, really do it. Right. <laughs> Instead of saying it. But uh, something I've learned, you always get more than what you give. I guess 10x is uh, copyrighted. So I'll say 12x. Whenever you give, you get 12x back. And like Winston Churchill said in World War II, to get us out of that, you make a living from your labor, but you always. Make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the 10-part series as we closed it out from every angle you can imagine, right, with facts. Facts are something proven to be true. How do you prove it? With video, with this corroborated, with contemporaneous documentation, with corroboration. Eyewitness is the worst form of evidence, so you need several witnesses, right, as we got here from Dr. Garner, Janet. Got several angles with corroboration, right, contemporaneously. So you make a living from your labor, but you make a life from what you give. Thank you for listening to the 10-part series, Trump Nations, who rushed the Capitol, who are Trump voters. All right. All the best.